Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. Uh, this, uh, the, the, the doctrines we're looking at tonight, the existence of God and, and the, uh, knowing God or the knowability of God, uh, have you ever questioned as a Christian whether God exists or not? Strange question perhaps, but have there been seasons in your life as a Christian or a self-identified Christian where you have come to question whether God exists or not? Yeah, there was a time about the first year of medical school. Is that about when it was? I said, I'm going to assume, I'm going to assume God doesn't exist for a while and see how that changes how I live. And I tried to make that assumption. It lasted about a week. <laughs> I, I was just fooling myself. <laughs> <laughs> was that uh, out of a desire to understand? Uh, I mean, what was the drive there or the thinking there? Oh, I don't know. It was just the secularism of all my education. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Sure. Hello. Good evening. Thank you. Anybody else ever go through a time of, uh, as a believer, as a you know, believing God, where you, does God really exist? Does that come up in your life? Jeanette? Oh, oh go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, sometimes I think even walking into the faith, when you're really trying to understand scriptures and stuff, that there becomes that where your mind can't understand certain things, that that unknown becomes a part of that is it real or is it not? Because you can't understand sometimes him and his without be, you know seeing it and yeah. touching it. Right, sometimes right. that you go into and you start getting into that deep, deep thought and thinking, it almost gets scary because it goes dark in your mind <laughs> and it's kind of like you get to that reality so can it really be real? You know, because we can't yeah. think that far. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I think it's the limitations of our own mind, absolutely. Um, just our humanity. Um, I don't think there's a single person that can truly understand infinity. And, and um, I don't know, for me, it, it was, it has been, um, does God exist? Um, I was, uh, told that I needed to surrender my will and my life to God as I understood God. And it's one of the steps, the 12 steps. Uh And I said, no, I don't understand God, so I'm not going to do that. And I need to understand God first. And after eight years of trying to understand God, I finally decided I can't understand God, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'll just give my will to this, whatever it is. Okay. And then I started reading the Bible and finding out more about who God really is uh-huh. and that he does exist. Thank you. And he's very real. And when he doesn't answer prayers the way I pray them, 
then, or if he doesn't answer prayers, period, or I can't see the answer to the prayer yet, sometimes I wonder if he's listening at all. Thank you. Yeah. That's uh, that's a time when some people that have maybe lived their whole life with a belief in God, or they've they've thought they believed in God, and then tragedy happens, or God doesn't answer prayer, or God doesn't perform in the way we expected God to to perform. That's when sometimes believers can really start asking that question: Am I believing in a fantasy? Am I believing in 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 something real, or is it just something I've been taught, or my culture's taught me, or my family's taught me? But it it's just a, a fantasy. Uh, so there, if and I, it's it's something that uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility that we could go through things that are so hard and so difficult that we might question God. Uh, intellectually, intellectually, uh, driven by emotion and driven by pain or driven by suffering. It doesn't mean that we've lost our faith. Spiritually, what God has done uh, in our minds and our souls, but there is this, this question of the existence of God. Why do we believe, why do we, how do we know that God exists? It's a, it's a great question just because of some of those realities. We're fallible, we're weak, we don't have all the, all the smarts, we, we're not infinite like God is, and so it's a, it's a real question. <laughs> I just I want to add to that. Yeah. I just had a conversation, I was on vacation this past week, that's why I didn't come to the Wednesday but um, just had a conversation with a, with, a person, with a person that claimed to be an atheist and also an agnostic, which is like, you, which know, is, oh, yeah. you don't do that. You can't do that at the same time. So I, I, quest, I asked for an explanation, you know, in this discussion. And he said, well, look at this tree here. Somebody or something had to create it. And it's like, it's exactly out of Romans where Paul was talking about, we know intrinsically inside that there's a God. It's just, as Tina said, we can't feel him. We can't, you know, he's not here right now. I mean, he is, but not. I know we can't reach out and touch him. Yeah. Is, is knowing God or the, the belief in the existence of God, is it a spiritual problem or is it an intellectual problem? I think it's an intellectual problem. You, think? you always want to, you know, we want to know something there. We want to know how it works. We want to know, no, no, no. We can't. There's some things that are secret. They're, they're, they belong to God. And they're going to belong to God until we meet them. And then hopefully we get, you know, everything revealed to us at that point. I mean, that's what faith is. Okay, so the difference between, so the intellectual questions or issues can become a barrier where, where the, the real realm of knowing God is a spiritual realm, a faith realm. A, okay, so those, some of those questions are so fascinating. Well, it's one that you have to answer to witness because if you have somebody who doesn't know that God exists, how can you say and convince them they're separated from but I think many of us also start out with this kind of a small concept of God. It's like there's a classic book, Your God is Too Small. Yes. 
you know, and I think even if we say, okay, we believe in God, we may have a very limited idea of who God is. And as we grow and mature as Christians, we, we you know, that expands continuously. We, we appreciate more and more of who God is and what he can do, what he has done. Amen. We, yeah, hopefully we're growing. If he's an infinite God and our, our understanding stays really small, <laughs> that'd be a bummer. So hopefully we're getting stretched and pushed. <clears throat> the God we thought we knew, it's, he's much bigger and stronger and mightier and more than we ever thought. If, if it always, if the same, if there, so there's a, there's a, I guess what I'm getting at, there's different ways of looking at this. The childlike faith is such a good faith. Right? It's such the trust God and the hold on to God and believe God for everything he says. But because of God's nature, we don't want to, in one sense, stay in a childlike faith. <laughs> you want a mature faith that adjusts to who God is, not, not to what we, a child would think of God, even though a childlike faith is a, exemplified as a good thing in Scripture. Uh, so this, uh, this question, the existence of God, how can we know that God exists? Uh, it's a tough, it's actually something that is, is a little bit challenging. And uh, this, this first section on your outline some of the reasons why it's hard to prove God exists. Uh, can we prove that God exists? Uh, the nature of God, this first paragraph there, doesn't allow for God's existence to be proven through scientific verification. How do you feel about that? <laughs> uh, uh, because God is spirit, that's uh, biblical teaching. God is spirit. We can't really get, grasp him empirically through our senses unless he chooses to reveal himself through empirical means. And, and that's, that can be really threatening for some people. That, uh, what? I, I know God exists, but how, how, how do we prove God exists if he's invisible and he, and he doesn't speak and you can't touch him, you can't smell him, you can't hear him? Yeah, what's that? The NIV has got his spirit smallest. Okay. The spirit, uh, meaning his, the, the being of God, is he, does, he doesn't exist in a corporal nature, in a bodily form, other than since Jesus is incarnation. He died, he rose again. Jesus is still in bodily form. But God, God's nature is, is spirit. Um, but he has spoken. Right? But he has spoken. Through Amen. Yeah. You know, that's, the, that's what we have, and that's what we stand on. Is his word. Amen. You know, so. Amen. And that's that's uh, that's the first eight chapters of this book really hit that hard, right? We can know God because of the Word of God. That's that's a big. That, that's why Grudem set it up this way. The the, the knowledge of God uh, primarily comes through the the written Word of God, the the revelation of God through the Word. Um, but this, uh, it's, it's, the point is, it's not easy to prove that, that he exists empirically through the scientific method. You could probably prove that I exist through scientific verification. You probably couldn't prove that Napoleon existed through scientific verification, or you probably couldn't prove that uh, ancient people in history existed. You might be able to if there's some grave markings or there's some um, writings that are verifiable, but... There's so much in history that we can't prove exists through the scientific method. Can't, can't prove, but we can know. Okay, yeah. And, and how, uh, we, we, we can't prove, so the, the, can we know that God exists? We, we can't prove it, 
But certainly on the spiritual level, we can know it. Yeah, because as scripture says, the spirit will witness to our spirit. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Even scientifically, I don't know how you cannot believe there's a God. Like you look at a cell and you look at our Excellent. body and how it works together and how everything is so intricate. I don't know how you cannot believe there's a God. Excellent. And, and bring that out. Bring that out a little bit more. Because so. it's like just even to watch a baby be born, or a baby <laughs> growing in the womb, and and how it starts, and then you know everything scientifically there. It's there's no chaos. It's very organized. Everything is completely organized. And uh, an eye cell is an eye cell, and an ear cell is an ear cell, right? And so, and all of that comes together in the womb, sometimes perfectly, right? So how can you not believe? You <laughs> so believe? so we, we can look at creation, and, and we can say, man, look at that orderly process. Look at, look at that leaf, or look at that, that baby being born, and it, it provides, uh, uh, it supports our belief that there's a God. Yes. Uh, Jim, what were you going to say? Um, well, you know, uh, the people who, uh, like us in this room, know that there's a God is because He drew us. He chose us. And the people who just can't fathom it, God hasn't called them yet. Or at all. Or they're in rebellion still yeah. against the drawing of the Spirit. So, there's so many, there's so many, uh, Interfaces between humanity and God that we can read about, just like Napoleon and what he did, and uh, his life and all that. That uh, you know, it's a, you read the stories and you know there's a God because the way it went, it was not just some story. Things happen, and in our lives when we pray, we get answers to our prayer, and or we're saved from trouble and. We didn't even know the trouble was there, but we can see it after the fact. And that's one of God's promises to us, is that he will cover us. Amen. So, so subjectively, we've seen answered prayers. Even objectively, you know, we, we say subjectively, objectively, from our point of view, it seems so objective. I prayed that, God answered it, boom. <laughs> right? And we've all experienced that time to time. But but this this... As he gets into this, the, the explanation of the existence of God, uh, it's very, very difficult for us to, to try to convince an unbeliever that God exists through the empirical senses. Right? Jeanette, what were you going to say? I think because of what this gentleman was saying. Jim. 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 What some are called and some are Previously, I was going to say about the science, you know, talk about the Big Bang Theory, the singularity point. What started it all? <laughs> and that really sometimes gets people thinking, you know, uh, there had to have been something that started it. Somehow it got started. So. Amen. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that tonight. Yeah. It takes more faith to believe the evolutionary story yes. than it does to believe yes, the story of creation. Yes, it does. Well, aren't those called theories? Maybe yes, the exactly. The Bible is not exactly. called theory, is it? That's correct. It's history. That's correct. <laughs> Good. So this is kind of provocative. It's kind of, you know, like, well, the existence of God, we all know here. Hopefully we all, we all believe that God exists, and we all hopefully know God exists, but how do you prove it? Mm -hmm. That's, that's uh, 
How do we know that God exists? Bringing God down to our level. <laughs> God is always going to be much greater and higher and bigger. He wouldn't be God if we could prove it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But how do you explain that to somebody that maybe is called or maybe is in rebellion or you know to a teenager? To a teenager. To a teenager whose life revolves around social media and just the media in general. Yeah. Right. But aren't new discoveries proof? That there's a God, because who's creating all the new discoveries that scientists find? Mm-hmm. I don't think God stops creating. So mm-hmm. you find these new creatures, and you know, even under the sea, that they, you know, these creatures that you know they want to claim are brand new that never been seen before. Do you really think our God of creation just stopped creating? You know, so where do you come up with a scientist that said what? Did man just put that in the ocean the other day for another man to discover? You know. <laughs> I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, you know, the uh, we come at we look at God's handiwork and we see that as evidence of God. But a, an unbeliever would say, "Well, it could have come out by a different matter. We don't need God for that." Yeah, well, I, you know, you think about yeah, you know, well, we discovered this new big huge. Well, where do you think it came from? You know? <laughs> so it's not it's not easy for everybody to arrive at the at the position of believing that there is a God. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we don't want to do God's job. I mean, it's the Spirit's <laughs> job to... Oh, that's, that's Yeah, we are, we are commissioned to witness to God, to proclaim God the gospel, but uh, can we save anybody? Yeah. No. No, <laughs> no we, and that's what I told my brother. I said, unless you have accepted Jesus and he's given you the Holy Spirit, there are things you won't understand. That's right. Deal with it, brother. Or come to Christ. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah. Uh, this is this is Romans one is one of my favorite passages. I just love Romans one, and I I always go back to. There's two words there that are really important. It says, "For all they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful." And then it goes on to say what God gives them over to in verse 26 or 24, 26, 28. I think it is. He gives them over. They have enough evidence to know. Ecclesiastes uh, 3.11, I think, says, God has set eternity in the heart of man. And then uh, Jeremiah 29.13 says, You will know me. Let's see. For if you seek me and seek me with your whole heart, you will know me. And so I think it's a... I think it is more of a spiritual thing because he's revealed himself in creation. We can look at Blanca Mountain. I talked to a guy Sunday afternoon. He doesn't. He says he doesn't believe in God. I said, you got the best view of Blanca Mountain in the country. And I said, you can see the snow melting and it comes again. And you cannot fathom that there's a God. And, you know, I just, just being, being, been witnessing it to him for a long time, but... But I, I just, I think about those two key words that we, that they that do not believe refuse to glorify and be thankful. And I think that's very, I think that we as Christians, we need to make it a point to glorify God and be thankful in every opportunity because I believe that can be contagious in to them. Amen. Yeah, I agree totally. So I, I think what our, our, said that if we just go down intellectual arguments 
That's that's not going to win the day. Right. No. And that's what you're saying. It's the spiritual Holy Spirit that convicts to, people of the of God's reality. By prayer, ask the Holy Spirit to draw them to Himself. So our our part is to say, boy, look what God made, <laughs> and to witness to the gospel, the gospel, and, and testify to what He's done in our life. And the Holy Spirit can use that to clear up their mind and, and convict them of their need, the, the reality of God. Uh, considerations that make it hard to prove God exists. The nature of God doesn't allow it uh, for it to be proven in, in the way the world likes to be proven. The second paragraph there, nature of humanity doesn't make it easy to convince people of God's existence. Uh, man is finite and fallen, and by his very nature is rebellious and opposed to God. Uh, so, you know... Uh, if, you, if you try to prove that God exists through intellectual argument or through, uh, through different uh, rational propositions, uh, boy, they, they're fallen, they're rebellious. Mm -hmm. Even if you make the best argument possible, if they don't want to hear it, they don't want to hear it. Right. Uh, spiritual things seem foolish to the natural man and he can't properly understand spiritual matters. As, as was said, God is infinite, he's spirit, he's, he's other. And so if you try to boil things down to simply rational arguments or, or propositions, uh, it it's, doesn't come easy. Natural man's understanding and perception of spiritual truth is blurred. He's blinded by Satan. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. You can have all the best evidence. You can have all the, uh, the best books and all the, all the reasons why science proves Christianity to be true. But there's a spiritual battle going on. That pe people are being lied to by the enemy and they are confused about spiritual reality. That's the testimony of the Bible. Um, so that, that makes it hard to prove that God exists. If you got those things, the intellectual problems, the heart problems, the spiritual problems that stand against people believing, it's, it's, it's challenging. The, all, the other part there is the Bible, uh, you know, if you argue, argue from the Bible trying to prove that God exists, there's not a lot of Bible verses that uh, are written to, to prove God's existence because the Bible assumes that God exists and, and the Bible isn't written to prove His existence to atheists or agnostics. Uh, that's kind of a big statement, but... Uh, I'm not sure I understand that. The, the Bible is God's revelation of Himself to humanity. Now, isn't that pretty much... <laughs> in, in a sense, yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't like the Apostle Paul didn't write, sit down and write out the, the letter to Romans thinking, oh, I'm going to show these atheists. I'm going to give them a rational proof that God exists. And here's all, like a, like a systematic theology might lay things out. Uh, all, all the letters in the Bible, all the, all the books in the Bible are generally written to believers. The people that already, already believe. Now, in the midst of that, there are... There are testimonies about God, and there are calls to repentance and calls to, to change, whether it be to Israel in the Old Testament, to the church in the New Testament. Uh, so certainly, yeah, that, that's a, a broad statement. But uh, b basically, the Bible is, is speaking to people that are already supposedly uh, theists, generally. I a professor put it this way. Um, Genesis 1-1 is an axiom, like you use in geometry. Like we, parallel lines, what are parallel lines? They're lines that go on whatever, without it and never cross. Can you prove that? We just accept that as fact and we go from there. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God. That's the accent. If we take that phrase out, the rest of it falls apart. 
But we start with the axiom, God. In the beginning, God. Yeah, that's a difficult thing all by itself, though, because God was before the beginning. When he talks about the beginning, I think he's talking about the beginning of time. God started time. There was right. not, no time before God in the beginning created right. time. Right? right? Time will go on forever. But time doesn't go back the other way to infinity or we'd never get to the present. <laughs> wow. <laughs> True that. That's real, yeah. Yeah, it's real. Yeah. If if yeah, there there his point is there's a beginning point. Yeah. God began it. Because if it was an infinite regress, we, we we'd never be at this present. Right. That's his yeah. So that's pretty cool. That's next chapter. It's a long chapter. So, so uh, just, just it, it, if we're coming against people that are, are saying God doesn't exist, through our rational arguments, it is going to be hard to prove that He exists. Through our intellectual arguments, it's going to be hard to prove it. So uh, I, I guess my, my point in starting this off is that, that to really know that God exists and to know God, God has to move in someone's life. God has to reveal Himself. God has to overcome the wicked heart, the sinful heart, the, the enemy that's binding people's lives into un unbelief. Uh, but, uh, so, as, as we get into Grudem a little bit, well, I, I added some more stuff here. And, and I don't know how much we want to spend time in this, because it's, uh, I don't know, some of it's, good and some of it's irritating, but biblical teachings that give evidence for the existence of God, evidence is found in Scripture. So the Bible reports miracles, and miracles point to the existence of God. So that might be one, one way that the Bible points to God's reality is miracles. Uh, if you can prove at least one supernatural miracle that, that at least one occurrence is beyond the realm of natural cause or explanation, you've proven the existence of a supernatural cause or being. Some of the miracles claimed by the Bible, God created all things out of nothing. God spoke to the universe into existence. Jesus Christ died, was buried, and then was raised to life. So, you know, that, that could be evidence that we use to support the idea that God exists, that there's miracles. Uh, there's another kind of line of reasoning. Uh, there, there's much evidence in the Bible that Jesus is God. If we prove that Jesus is God, that, that likely proves that God exists. <laughs> so, so just pulling out some of these things, these are some old notes I had from college that I, I incorporated here. Uh, many Bible verses call Jesus God. Jesus claimed to be God, called himself equal to, to God in the Bible. In Scripture, Jesus gave, is given names or titles that can only refer to God. In Scripture, Jesus is shown to have certain qualities or attributes which are only divine in essence and nature, which are only divine in essence and nature. It's like eternity, immutability, omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence. In Scripture, works are attributed to Jesus which only God could do. Creation of the world, providence, forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the dead, and final judgment. Um, so if, if, if Jesus has all those attributes and all those things said about him, it, it seems likely that he's God, especially if you, if you can prove that he rose from the dead. And that's that last little paragraph. The Bible teaches that Jesus rose from the dead, which proves, basically, the integrity of Jesus as a teacher and the truth of the authority of his teaching. If Jesus claimed to be God, but didn't rise from the dead, we had to have proof that he wasn't who he said he was. But since he said he was God, and he said in advance that he rise again on the third day, and it happened, his claim to be God is greatly supported. 
So that, that defense of the deity of Christ, the, all the reasons why we think Jesus is divine, that can provide an excellent uh, argument that, that God is, is real. And so there's, you can run down that path a little bit more if you want to. But any questions on that or clarifications? Does that make sense? It's kind of like some of these, like pulling them out of context. Sometimes it's like, what, what's the point? But uh, you're talking yeah. about miracles. I think some, sometimes the best evidence of God, at least the way I see it, is when people can see changes in us, especially when good. I mean, changes for good, especially when you're going through some tough times, and you keep going and you keep moving and you keep trusting God. It. it I think it gets them at least. Some in my life, some people have, they question their stance about whether or not there's a God, you know. Um, I think, though, if, if uh, it's a good place to start, though, as, as, as our witness to other people and how we handle situations or how we let allow God to handle our situations for us instead of trying to do it all on our own. And, you know, it's... You know, you can't, you can't draw a picture of him, you can't, I mean, but you can point him, you can point him in that direction just based on what he's done. Amen. You know, you share with that, you share the victories or whatever, and even the downtimes. you know, you, you share what you're going through, um, but how he's taking you through that instead of around it, and he's, he's never left, and, I don't know. You know, I think we've all been there sometime or another. We may not have questioned the existence of God, but I think we've questioned why he does what he does. But then you go back to the fact that he's God and he has our best interest in mind. And you gotta move forward with that and just trust him. But it's I think if if we're the witness that we're supposed to be, a lot of these people will be saved. It's just that we I think we disappoint a lot of people because we don't live up to who we say we are. So uh, it could be, uh, that's great. Our, 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 maybe our best apologetic, our best argument for the existence of God is a transformed life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and we've talked in previous classes how the, if we're loving people, that's a, that's a great testimony, especially if they knew who we were before we came to God. <laughs> Uh, they've seen a transformation in our life, that might be the best, from their, their rational mind, that might be the best evidence possible. That they'll know you're Christians by, by your love. You know, Jesus said that. And, and to see the, the fruit of a changed life is a powerful witness that the Holy Spirit can use to convict them of, of God's reality. So that's really good. <laughs> all these intellectual proofs and all these rational arguments, uh, have they seen a different Jerron? If I'm still the old Jerron I was before I met Jesus, that's uh, argument against his existence for sure, <laughs> or his power uh, in, in their minds. So thank you for that, Blaine. I think going right along with that, with Blaine, is instead of sometimes trying to prove God, our story of our redemption, our change in our life, how can they argue with that? That's our story. 
And so I've heard in the, I've heard that. I'm not, I'm not always practicing that because I want to prove the existence of God. But it might be better sometimes to tell the story of how God's, what God's done in our lives, because how can they argue with that? Yep, excellent. Yeah, your testimony is powerful because it's your story. Yeah. Yeah. How can they question Our story that? and his story. Yeah, God is done. <laughs> yeah. Great, great uh, arguments there. Uh, the first, you know, the first uh, seven or eight chapters of this book, the Bible uh, itself points to the existence of God. If it's inerrant, if it's this uh, reliable word of God, it, it certainly provides uh, argument that God exists. Like, where could this Bible come from? If it, did it come from men? You know, how could it be so flawless and and uh, and uh, strong and powerful if if it came just from people? It's a pointing to an evidence of God's existence. Uh, getting to the, the next little part here, evidence for God's existence is found in humanity's inner sense of God. This is, Grudem started off the chapter with this argument. And if you noticed in the first few paragraphs, he, uh, he spent a lot of, times, a lot of time in, in Romans. So let's, let's open up our Bibles and let's look at that a little bit because this is a common... A common uh, a place of uh, argument, a common place of of grasping the uh, that everybody has an, an, a knowledge of God, whether they admit it or not. So, could somebody read uh, Romans chapter one? Read verses eighteen through twenty, please. Chapter one, verses eighteen through twenty. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation in the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Thank you. <clears throat> uh, the, uh, the previous section, verse 17, uh, the righteous shall live by faith, that's a big, big idea in, uh, in Paul's argument in Romans. Uh, he, that's his big theme. In, in verses 18 all the way through chapter 4, he, uh, he really uh, articulates that in, in, in the, how God saves people through faith gives them a righteous standing through faith. But he starts off here in verse 18, giving us the bad news. Uh, the wrath of God is coming from heaven presently. It's a present tense against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Uh, and, and the unrighteousness of, of people, what, what, what are they doing? They're suppressing the truth about God. About God's reality, about His His uh, character, it, it could go a, a lot of ways. But the the his, for what can be known about God is plain to them. That that's a big statement. Uh, what what in verse twenty? What what can we know about God? What is plain to them? Everything around you. Everything <laughs> creation. Talked about in the past, doesn't mean like tribes that have never known the word know that 
God exists in some way, shape, or form. They just haven't put it all together, you know. But they know there's a God. And apparently, because they see that from creation that there's a God, in God's mind, that's enough. That's enough that to not respond to that revelation is enough for him to judge them. Is that fair to say of those first few verses? Otherwise, why is the wrath of God coming if it's not enough to respond to? And so people, what, what he's basically saying there is, is uh, God has given enough revelation of himself in the general revelation, not special revelation as we talked about before, but in creation, that God expects some kind of a response uh, uh, towards his, uh, to glorify God, to honor God in some sense. It's not enough to know God, but there should be a turning of the heart in some sense to give God glory. Even though you can't maybe articulate all that God is. And he's greater than man. Yeah, there's somebody greater than you. <laughs> somebody greater than your village. Somebody greater than your people. Or your or your, your man-made gods, yeah. Isn't that how like a lot of the pagans to begin with, they started worshiping things that were created? I know Paul talks about that too. If somebody does things that were created that, you know, these are idols. They're just man-made things they're not so i'm thinking that's us as humans trying to bring god down to who we can understand yeah go ahead and read verses 21 through 23 that's exactly where he goes for although they knew god they did not honor him as god or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened claiming to be wise they became fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So that's just what you're talking about, right? Yeah. There's an there's a there's there's an exchange there. They they knew God God gave enough to to know Him in in a, in a general sense. Now not not know Him salvifically. Okay, that's there's not enough information in creation. The content of creation tells us that there's attributes of God that, that we should be aware of, that we, there's a knowledge there. And, and he expected humanity to honor him as God and, and to reverence him and to glorify him in some fashion. Psalms 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, there is no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun, and it goes on, that's a great song to, to back up what what's God is saying in yeah. Revelation, I mean, excuse me, Romans, Romans 20. So creation is always preaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Speaks. That there's, that there's something bigger. Day and night, creation's preaching that God is. Mm -hmm. And you're not. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right? So, so they, 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 they were without excuse. They, they should have... God showed His, His, His being, in a sense, uh, and they, they, they responded poorly. They refused to honor Him, refused to give thanks to Him. 
And so their thinking became darkened and messed up and, and not accurate. And there's a great exchange here. They, they, in, in their, they're claiming to be wise. A, a biblical fool is somebody that refuses to obey God. Uh, they, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for idols. Uh, man-made Im- images of creation. What a tragedy. What an absolute tragedy that is. So that's where the, the pagan religions, oftentimes, like, like when Israel fell into sin with uh, Moses' brother, you know, they made that bull calf, and they, they, they devolved, as it were, to worshiping creation instead of the Creator. Uh, and so it goes on from there. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, dishonoring their bodies among themselves, and again, another exchange, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Uh, so they're worshiping themselves, in other words, instead of the, 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 the nature that God gave, the order that God gave, they came up with their own order. Uh, and the lie is that they're God and they can do whatever they want. Uh, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Right. And so that's the, the, the homosexuality. And that's, that's a whole other topic uh, about, you know, the way that this, these verses have been interpreted. I don't want to get into that tonight because we only have 45 minutes left. <laughs> but Jordan, what amazes me about this passage is it was written to as Christians in Rome approximately 2,000 years ago. And he's talking about suppressing the truth, supporting lies, having depraved minds, a sexual revolution, a homosexual revolution. How are we doing in our day and age? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and all these are present tense. Present tense. Yeah, now. it's uh, all this is continuing to go on. Um, the the real scary part of this and the real sad part of this, verse twenty eight. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, okay. So again, the expectation is that everybody should acknowledge God from creation. Creation's preaching, always has been preaching. And so we all, we all have this inner sense, Rudim's argument is we have this inner sense that God is. And, and we get in so much testimony, we should respond, but we did not see fit. We are not seeing fit today to acknowledge God. And would, so what does God do? Would we always acknowledge, or would someone always acknowledge that it is G-O-D that they're experiencing? I mean, can they experience that there is a higher power or a spirit or and not recognize that as God? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that just from um, they, they can experience a higher power. There is power in the dark realms. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. There is very much power, and a lot of times people... Satan comes deceive, you know, deceiving. He's a great, the ultimate But I'm deceiver. talking about a positive power, a positive help, a positive, and yet, you know, like a small child, you know, unless they were told that's God, they wouldn't. But I can, I can say, because of my group that, that I'm in, okay, so I'm in an AA group, doesn't matter. I don't care. I've been there for 20 plus years. It's okay. I don't care. Um, judge me if you like. But what they originally say 
is to give your, your will and your life over to the care of God as you understand God. Or what they say nowadays, somebody told me, higher power. <laughs> and so, like for me, when I first started 20 plus years ago, it was difficult for me because of all the stuff that I had put myself through, and etc. It was difficult for me to understand who God was. And, and so I had to say higher power. And some of the descriptions um, that I came through, you know, just the seeking and all the, all the things that I was seeking after, I experienced a higher power helping me. God was always there. But I didn't realize it. You didn't address it as God. I didn't. As God. No. Mm. That's what I'm asking. Mm -hmm. I feel like that mm -hmm. if we are thankful and give Him glory, and if we seek Him with our whole heart, He will reveal Himself to us. So I think that's the beginnings, like the right. AA things. I've seen it with the drug, drug uh, rehab program that I was, it was at my church in Arizona. Yeah. When people start acknowledging that there is a higher power, I think that's the beginnings yes. of being thankful and giving glory. Mm -hmm. And then God can therefore start working in the person's heart. Is that? Well, yeah, I, I think that that's right. Uh, to your, your point, Cheryl, is like, are there different levels, different ways that people, like, would they be correct if they didn't get all of God? I mean, uh, re rephrase your question there so I can... Like, like, well, it's it, it just keeps saying God, 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 yeah. God. So there is a being. Do they have to say it is God if they haven't had any? I see. Background. Yeah. Any, oh, yeah. See, yeah. I, I think we have to leave that to God, <laughs> right? He knows yeah. right. if they're if they're authentic or they're responding rightly. Because they're not focusing on self, they're not making themselves a god. Right. They're acknowledging. If they if they can move away from yeah negative spirits. Right. Mm -hmm. And and this is you know Paul is making a, a bigger argument here for for salvation. So he you know he doesn't really address the how how correctly their belief in God must be at this point. Right. He's just saying, man, that that people that are in rebellion are they. <laughs> They're not responding. They're they're tasting the wrath of God, unfortunately. And uh, they have every every God has given given us everything we need to respond appropriately to Him. And and in some fashion, humanity. Uh, and, and when we get to chapter three, verse nine, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Right? That leads into the gospel. <laughs> For whether it be Gentile, pagan Gentile. Uh, a Greek Gentiles that are phil phil philosophical Jews, man, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and we're all dead men walking. Right. <laughs> this is his point in, in Romans, right? Mm -hmm. But I, I see, yeah, it's like to well, what degree? In the, in the church, there's a certain language, and someone mm -hmm. else would describe it totally differently. Sure, sure, yeah, they they might totally uh, say not use God. They, they might say that the eminence of of spirit <laughs> in some fashion, totally different than what God is. I, I guess we just have to leave that to God to, to, to decipher. I mean, ultimately, 
Why you know, I we're again starting to draw down into intellectual. God knows your heart. Mm -hmm. Individual, each person knows their heart. So where you're at, he's going to meet you. And that's the same thing that Jesus Christ did. He met everybody he spoke to where they were at the moment. That's it. And then he everything worked from there. You know? You so. know, I'm thinking, I can't find it. Where's the part where Paul is out with somebody and there's somebody else that's preaching and Paul's friends, the tent makers, come and straighten him out? Oh, uh... Like, like straighten, straighten Paul out, or straighten his friends no, out? Straighten the guy out. He's been preaching, but he's not Paul's. Yeah, yeah, Paul's. Yeah. Is that sort of Acts, what we're talking about here? You know, as far as a, a deeper understanding, a better understanding, and a, you know, like that guy didn't quite understand about the Holy Spirit yet, or something. And yeah, we see that in Acts. Now, there are examples of that in the Bible. You right. Know, as far as yeah, and, and yeah. Really, really fascinating questions. Like, what, what and that that gets into the uh, what content is is necessary for salvation, you know? And we'll we'll get to that for sure. Uh, this 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 is a content where they did not they did verse twenty eight in in the scary part. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, and so acknowledge God is different than believe in God. <laughs> what what is what's the difference? Uh, you know, sometimes you can acknowledge God, you can glorify God, but maybe not believe in Him. So there's a lot of room there uh, in, in this part of Paul's argument. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So I, I, I've, I've, you know, the, the illustration that I've used before, and it, it made sense to me when I first heard it, like uh, we as people 2,000 years ago, even today, we have chosen to step into sin. We've chosen to step into the way that we want to live. It's kind of like choosing to step out into a canoe that's in the river. Uh, in this, this river of, of, of wrath, this river of evil, this river of, of sin, is, is, and you've stepped out into that canoe, and God's holding out onto the canoe for a season. <laughs> Right? He's given, he's like, he's, the, the preaching is still there. Maybe the testimony of scripture or truth is still there. But at some point when it says God gave them over, God somehow gives the canoe a push. <laughs> and that's frightening and terrifying. Yes. You know, he lets them go their own way, so to speak. Mm -hmm. and, but, but then we ask the question, well, how are people saved? Right? That's, and that's where we come back to the spiritual side of things. What Jim alluded to, the elect, the God's choosing, God's Holy Spirit awakening people's souls, where they, where they respond or they don't. They're, they stay in rebellion or they don't. So really, really fascinating waters here. But, but this, this section here, that it's a real strong argument that um, everybody has received some light. And everybody, Grudem's argument is that everybody has an inner sense of God. They can deny it. They, they can certainly, um, what's, what's the word, like when you shut down your heart? Um, harden your heart. Quench the spirit. Yeah, when you quench the spirit, mm -hmm. you can get to a certain point. Over time, you deny God enough, you, you can really, the, your recepti receptivity to God is really, can really go down. I like right. the way NIV translates verse 28. It says, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. Mm -hmm. 
It was there, but she goes, I'm just going to get rid of that. I'm going the other way. I, uh, oh, boy. So God says, okay, here's your, embrace the consequences of that choice. Verse 32, though, they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things should deserve to, die, deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's a terrifying verse. Yeah. yeah it, it's reality today. It is, yeah. When the intellectuals don't, they believe themselves as being gods, and they're not, a, they're not accountable to anyone. And they, the, the longer they keep telling themselves that, the more they believe it. God promised he'd leave the Holy that he'd leave the Holy Spirit here until Jesus came back. So there's there's still that part of him that's here to convict us. So like you said, every one of us is, has a has a mark from God on us. Uh, he created all of us, but um, it's still we still choose we make choices to to follow him or acknowledge him or not. They're real choices. I even have, um, I was really close because I saw some of the comments my grandson was watching. And um, they talked about demons and um, Beelzebub and right in the cartoon. And like it was no big deal. Cartoons are horrible these days. No big deal. It was amazing. I turned it to <laughs> For sure. Uh, was there in, in any of Grudem's, uh, uh, was there anything that you wanted to talk about in terms of Grudem's letter A on page 169? Anything that stood out to you or you found really helpful? I think we've hit most of that. Uh, he moves on to uh, letter B. Uh, believing the evidence in Scripture and nature. And so we, we've talked about this. Uh, I, I thought, you know, it's pretty clear in my mind. Maybe I've looked at it a lot, but it's uh, that I pull out the quote there. Uh, the beauty of a snowflake, the majestic power of a thunderstorm, the skill of a honeybee, refreshing taste of cold water, the incredible abilities of the human hand, all these and thousands of other aspects of creation simply could not have come into existence apart from the activity of an all-powerful and all-wise creator. So that's, uh, I think, getting to what Nancy said about, man, how can you, you look at all these things and how they add up. Um, and we, from our point of view, who believe in the existence of God and who know God, it's like, duh! But... If you are trapped in sin and you're, you've hardened your heart against these things, it is, it is easy to deny them. 
and come up with alternative reasons for why things exist and, and that God isn't in existence, unfortunately. So some of those scriptures there, that's uh, Dave quoted the Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. Um, Romans 1.20, we've seen that. Um, the Acts 14.17, the rains and future fruitful seasons as well as the food and gladness that all people experience and benefit from are also said by Barnabas and Paul to be witnesses to God. Um, yeah, so all the blessings that we receive are witnesses to God's nature and His existence. Yep. So uh, that, uh, just as we keep moving here, the rational or theistic arguments for the existence of God. Have anybody, has any of you, any, anybody here used the cosmological argument, the teleological argument, the ontological argument, or the moral argument to prove that God exists? Maybe. <laughs> I bet you have. Probably, yeah, annoyingly, without using the, the terms. Um, so, uh, Grudem very summarizes, uh, like, uh, how... This, I got this book on my shelf, uh, Reasonable Faith, by William Leg Craig, and about half this book, he, he uh, blows up some of these. He, he explains these in more detail. And each of these arguments, you could buy three or 400-page books that just spend the, the whole book on just one of these arguments. <laughs> so again, just telling you there's more resources out there if you want to dive deeper. Um, well, let's just run through these because I bet you've used some of these without even thinking about the titles or what, where they came from. Some of these are ancient uh, from hundreds and hundreds of years ago. A lot of church history, a lot of people have tried to prove the existence of God. But the, and on the outline, Grudem does a, a very very quick summary, but I, I wanted to give you some of the, the how it flows, the argument flows, um, premise to conclusion. The cosmological argument, so the argument from creation, why is there a creation, why is there uh, a, a world out there, um, cosmology, the study of the world or the study of what is. Uh, so letter A, the basic form. Premise one, something has come into existence. We can observe that, for instance, we can observe the universe exists. Uh, so something, there's, there's been a, a, an action that's resulted in, in an outcome. So something exists. Uh, well, the, the second premise there, every effect, so the effect is the universe. Well, every effect must have a cause that is sufficient to explain it or bring it into existence. Uh, when you go home and, and your house is a mess and the only animal or the only being in the house is your black lab, uh, you deduce that there was a cause that led to that effect, right? <laughs> All the your couch was tore up or whatever, you, you deduce that uh, something made that happen, and it was probably your dog. So the, this uh, uh, something explains or brought the universe into existence. Natural processes cannot bring something into existence from nothing. Okay, so if you have those two premises, well, we see this effect. There's a universe, and we knew it. We premise two. We know it didn't come from nothing. Premise three, there can't be an infinite regress of causes. Like, well, uh, the universe, uh, it came from another universe. Like, uh, there's, there's arguments out there like this universe is, is a bubble that's emanated from a, a previous universe that emanated from a previous universe, kind of an oscillating kind of a thing. 
or there's multiple universes is the current you watch any movies you know they're always talking about the multiverse you know kind of entered popular culture um, uh, the but if you keep going back there can the argument is you, there can be an infinite regress forever eventually there 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 has to be an original starting point an original cause yeah some kind of a, a they, in, in like the, I guess it was the early part of the 20th century, the Big Bang theory, and earlier than that, that there was a starting point, and and that that kind of got pushed to the side as time went on. Um, but this 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 argument, the cosmological argument, uh, there is an ultimate cause, and his name is God. And you've you've probably used that, haven't you, in some fashion? Um, some people. Uh, some people don't like this for various reasons, um, but it, it generally, it, does it specify what kind of a God started it? No. <laughs> so it doesn't get, uh, you know, Muslims can use this argument and, and uh, other religions can use this argument. It doesn't specify uh, Jesus, for instance, or anything. There could, you could say that there's 10 gods out there that made the universe. But ultimately, it, it, the cause... There's a cause that effect that brought about all that is. So you and so the teleological argument, uh, teleos, kind of the the end result, the the goal, the outcome. Um, whatever is designed must have a designer. And so the premise is, man, we look around the world and there's design. Uh, did that just happen by chance? And so this one has become very very important in the intelligent design movement. If you've read any books out there that uh, like, uh, is this the watch must have a watchmaker? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's uh, that's uh, I actually got that the original uh, in this book. He he kind of spent some time talking about it and um, the watchmaker argument. Yeah, by Paley. Uh, and I don't know if I I don't want to read this whole thing. But in crossing a heath, he's from Britain, I guess, suppose I pitched my foot against a stone and were asked how the stone came to be there. I might possibly answer that for anything I knew to the contrary, it had lain there forever. Nor would it perhaps be very easy to show the absurdity of this answer, but I suppose I'd found, but suppose I had found a watch upon the ground and I should inquire how that watch happened to be there in that place. I should hardly think of the answer which I had given before, that for anything I knew, the watch might have been there forever. Yet why should not this answer serve for the watch as well as for the stone? Why is it not as admissible in the second case as in the first? For this reason and for no other, that when we came to inspect the watch, we perceive uh, what we could not discover in a stone, that as several parts are framed and put together for a purpose, they are, that they are so formed and adjusted as to produce motion. That motion is so regulated as to point to the hour of the day. That it has different parts that have been differently shaped from what they are and of a different size from what they are or placed after any other manner or in any other order than that in which they are placed. Either no motion at all would have carried on in the machine or none which would have answered the use that is now served by it. <laughs> to reckon up a few of the plainest of these parts or of their offices, all tending to one result. We see a cylindrical box 
containing a coiled elastic spring at which you know it, it endeavors to turn itself, communicating the action of the spring, the boxes to the fuse. We then find a series of wheels, the teeth of which can catch and apply to each other. And so his big point, of course, is you stumble, come across something like that, it's obvious it's designed. And so the, in the last 20, 30 years, there's been a lot of books written. You look at a human eyeball, did that happen by chance or was it designed, right? You look at a human cell or any kind of a cell. Now, as you look at the intricacies of the cell, it's almost impossible to believe that wasn't designed. A modern argument along that line is Behe's argument that of an irreducible complexity, that there are certain things that are irreducibly complex. Like a mousetrap, there's a certain number of components you have to have or you don't have a mousetrap. So everything can't have evolved. Somebody had somebody had to organize it in the first place. There's irreducible complexity. Yeah, if, it, if it's a functioning mousetrap. If it's a functioning mousetrap, it didn't evolve. It didn't evolve. No. So that's, that's, that's this, this teleological argument plays a big role in that. Whatever is designed must have a designer. Premise B, something, some things in a natural world are designed, they are obviously the product of intelligent design. Conclusion, therefore a designer exists, the designer is God. So you could, you've used that one, I'm sure, to one degree or another. Maybe with your kids or, <laughs> look, this mess didn't happen by itself. <laughs> Look, this, this, uh, who, who drew on this wall? This is obviously design. And it must have been you, <laughs> the, the designer. You know, so this, these are kind of intuitive. The, the last one is a little bit harder. Uh, and, and, you know, the, again, the, the people that don't want to uh, believe there's a God, atheists, they, they've provided... Uh, uh, responses to these arguments, and you can dive in deeper. Uh, I, the first two, I think, I, they're, they're doable for me. The third one is a little bit harder. The ontological argument, uh, what is the be being, ontology, the study of what, what is, what the, the being of something. Um, God, God, God's ontology, his, his nature. Um, the basic form of argument, God is, be is a being, than which, than which nothing greater can be conceived. He's the greatest conceivable being. So the, the, the thing that you think of in your mind, the best and highest and greatest thing you can ever think of, you can't, you can't think of anything greater than God. Because as what we know about God, and this obviously comes from a Christian worldview, what we think about God, He's infinite. He's perfect. You can't think of anything greater than that. He's eternal. Etc. Etc. You can't conceive anything greater than that. So he's the greatest conceivable being. God can be conceived of in different ways. For instance, we can conceive of him as existing only in the mind, only as an idea. We can also conceive of him existing in reality, as in well of our minds. So, so the highest conceivable thing is not just a, a, a thought; it's a reality. Right? You can think of something, and that's not as great as something that's real. So, you know, that, well, that's kind of heavy. Um, the latter is greater than the former. To exist in reality is greater than existing only in the mind. Okay? So, the conclusion, therefore, since God is the greatest conceivable being, he must exist in reality as well as in our minds. Otherwise, he's not the greatest conceivable being. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of tough, you know, but it's the idea that, man, it, it can, because we can conceive of something, 
the greatest thing we can conceive of, that, that thing probably exists, because otherwise we couldn't conceive it. <laughs> and that's like, I don't, yeah. So that one, that one's probably been trashed more than any other, or, or argued against more than any other, because it's just, you, you, concepts are not the same as reality. Now, let me say something about experience. Can I? Many, many years Please. ago, I had a pastor I really disagreed with because I had just read a number of books about people that had died, gone to heaven, and then come back. And that was their experience. And the pastor was very, very critical about that. He said, well, that may be their experience, but a lot of what they have to say does not line up with Scripture. The other night, I was looking through um, the Book of Mormon that was given to me by a patient many, many years ago. And in it was a two-page testimony about how this book had really, really changed her life. And it, was, and it was a very touching, poignant, emotional testimony. And um, to go back to where I started, that pastor was right. Those experiences didn't line up with scripture. And I read about her very emotional experience, and I just had to say, thank you, God, that I've never had an emotional experience that has led me into some kind of false beliefs. Amen. <laughs> By the grace we of God. Can't put too much stock in experience. Mm -hmm. People all have their own experience. But that's all we have. So what do you do? You know, I'm going to believe. I'm going to tend to believe my experience, aren't I? Our experiences are, are colored by the lens by which we see the world. So if we are found, if our belief system is found in a worldview, our experiences are be colored by that worldview. True. Uh, whether it's somebody who went through the emotional experience, but her worldview is that Mormonism, of course that's how she's going to see it. Yeah, and that's pretty close to my point, that if we're going to make the Bible our authority, then our, we better check our experience to see to what extent it lines up perfectly with Scripture. Uh -huh. right. And if it doesn't, we better question our experience. Yeah, thank, thank you. So that, that was uh, Gruden's big part about section one, about the authority of the Bible. Why is the Bible more authoritative than other scriptures out there um, because uh, if it's if it's not authoritative if the Book of Mormon is more authoritative then we're in trouble or just as authoritative or just as authoritative so he's saying that the Bible is is authoritative because of X Y and Z compared to other scriptures they're not as authoritative whoo that's uh, that's a lot to think about Don well, my pastor could have straight I guess I put an awful lot of stock in experience, a lot more than I do now. I've seen so many people messed up by experiences that didn't line up with Scripture. That's right. Thank you. Uh, so there, there's uh, those. What do you? I, there's other arguments. There's he has the moral argument in here as well. Uh, I don't know if you did. Did that one make sense to you in Grudem's? Begins the man's sense of right and wrong and the need for justice to be done, then argues that there must be a God who's the source of right and wrong and will someday mete out justice to all people. Uh, I think uh, right now in the world today, there's a lot of moral argument against the uh, war in, in Ukraine. And I think we all can have a sense there that we, we all have a sense of right and wrong, the need for justice to be done. <laughs> so uh, it 
there, there must be a God. Where does that come from? If that's a universal experience, the argument is that that comes from God, that God's justice and righteousness, we, we share that attribute. And that's so it's part of the imprint of being created in the image of God. That's right. You know, so you have some basic moral orientation, but it can be, be really warped by culture. Sure. <laughs> yeah, what, what is right? That's what we were just talking about. Yeah, so we, yeah, so it, there's limits to it. Yeah. Um, how can we, we, uh, we, we know God exists? I think the summary is while there are some good arguments for God's existence, we, we really can't prove it to anybody. We, we, can, we can testify to it, we can have rational arguments, and the Spirit will use those. We, we can look at evidence from archaeology, we can look at evidence from fulfilled prophecy, we can look at all, kind, all the different evidences out there that would support the belief in the existence of God. But people won't believe in God unless the Holy Spirit clears the mind and convicts the heart. That's uh, what letter D about is, is on 172. Finally, it must be remembered in the, the first paragraph there in letter D. Finally, it must be remembered that in this sinful world, God must enable us to be persuaded or we would never believe in him. Read that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Furthermore, Paul says that since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preached to save those who believe. Um, I guess uh, the, w- the, way, uh, the way we know God, and, and the first time I thought of this, it was kind of, I didn't like it very much, is I can't, I can't come to know God unless God makes it possible for me to know Him. Now, what does that you know that 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 and, and whether you're Armenian or Calvinist, I think there is a both both systems look at grace as a necessary factor in our salvation. There's nobody that's saved that hasn't been saved because of God in some sense. God has to be the the, the cause, the the primary cause, or the beginning cause, or the originating cause, because we are so fallen and so sinful and, and the enemy has such a grip on us. How, how would you say that better? Yeah. To a certain extent, people can't get to know me unless I allow it. Mm. Unless I'm vulnerable and open and... Amen. You can know about me. Yeah, facts about you. I can, I can do an internet search on Cheryl, but I won't really know her personally unless she wants to be known. Uh, that's that leads into the next. Uh, well, if you if you're interested, in, if you got an atheist in your life, what is the best way to approach someone who doesn't seem to believe God God exists? There, there's a list there. Um, just just a, a very quick summary there. I, I would say um, that there's boy there was something I was going to say. Well, God doesn't make it clear. David alluded to this. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We have, yeah. <laughs> Amen. With all your heart. 
heart in the Bible usually means mind. Oh, there's there's something really cool I was going to say, but I lost it. So, darn, <laughs> Lord help me. Uh, but can, can can we really know God? Uh, that that was the second the second. In this one, I didn't spend as much time on. Uh, can we know God? We can know God because He wants to be known. To to Cheryl's point, because of God's nature, He's infinite and transcendent. God would be unknowable if He chose to hide Himself from us. The God made us in His image with the c- capability to know Him, and God has revealed Himself to us, especially through the Incarnation, through the inspired written Word of God, because He wants to be known. Praise God. <laughs> Praise well, God. what extent He went to to make it possible. Amen. He, to the furthest, made Himself a servant and became nothing so that we could know Him. Sent His only Son so that we could relate. Amen. How, how badly did he want to know you? And how badly did you, he want you to know him? So badly he sent his only begotten son. That you could. Uh, Grudem makes a really good argument there. We can't know everything of God. Okay? He's infinite. We're going to spend eternity getting to know God. Yes. But that doesn't mean we can't have a true knowledge of God. That was really good how he put that. Our, our knowledge won't be exhaustive, but we can truly know Him because He's revealed Himself in Scripture. He's, he's made Himself known. Um, yeah, anyway, then, that, then I got into some... I didn't finish that thought really, but a special revelation gives us knowledge about God. And praise God that, for that. Um, What uh, other other thoughts about chapter ten? Was there anything in chapter ten that you found interesting or you wanted to talk about? I thought it was pretty straightforward. I thought the most important thing he said was in the middle of page one seventy nine. Amen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we haven't arrived. And he doesn't want us to arrive. I mean, keep growing, keep pushing, keep searching, keep seeking. I've heard it said that if we're not growing, we're we're reversing. We can't stay the same. We're either going backwards or going forwards. Yeah. I think that's a really. It's really good. Yeah. But it's not just all about us either. I mean, he desires it. Amen. I'd I'd summarize these chapters as uh, knowing God and showing God. Uh, We we can show God through our, our testimony, through the way we live, through rational arguments, through intellectual arguments. We can show, show the world God, and, and we can do our best to lay out all the reasons why God exists. Uh, the, showing, the showing of God is the apologetics. The show, showing God is loving people. Uh, showing God is a changed life. All, all these things, it, all, we, can, we can show God up in so many ways, show God before the world in so many, so many ways, but they don't 
they, they can't come to know God unless the Holy Spirit is active in their life. Uh, and that's, it's humbling. And my pride says, oh, I don't like that. I'd like to, I, my pride says, I chose God, right? But the, so showing God is, is really important for the church. Our commission is to show God, proclaim God, teach about God, explain God, uh, uh, share the gospel again and again. But ultimately, the knowledge of somebody, the knowledge of God, God has to open the heart and un, 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 unclog the mind. But isn't there been like always a thing that we're to plant the seed and God's to do the rest? We don't always know sometimes the seeds we plant. We may not yeah, amen. see the finished product, you know, if we want to. But the victory and glorification isn't for us, you know. Yep. We're just to go out there and plant that seed. Showing God. Showing God. Yeah, you, you, it. yeah. You know, we may never see that end result, but that's not for our glorification, you know. And sometimes it's hard because a person, even though it's not always just about the pride, they just want that love for that person. But again, it's, you know, we just pray for the unhardening of their hearts and that God shows them the right way. But I've always been told it's just our mission to plant the seed, you know. That yeah, is. Yeah. Dr. Phil asks the, the right question. How's what you're doing working for you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if people are living a life that they're perfectly satisfied with and they're tickled to death and they're comfortable, I don't have anything to argue with them about. But most people that are living in sin aren't comfortable in their lives. There's always some complaint or something else you know, that they've got going on. They're never fulfilled. I like Pascal's argument. If I, he said, if if I'm right, look what I've got to gain, and if I'm wrong, look what I've got to lose. But mm -hmm. if you're wrong, and I'm right, look what you've got to lose. There's a really comforting phrase in Galatians that I just stumbled across. Um, it's in Galatians 4:9. But it says, "Now that you know God." or really rather that you're known by God. <laughs> it's just a different perspective. You know, we're seeking about knowing God. And the real deal is God knows us. Yeah. Praise God. <laughs> and he says eternal life. Jesus said eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Just knowing God isn't good enough. Yeah, that's where the content of the gospel comes in. Absolutely. Yeah, there is <laughs> Jesus, our Redeemer, our Savior. He died on the cross for our sins. And yeah, amen. Trusting in that. Uh, I just assume everybody knows God. I walk in assuming that they're a Christian and talk to them like such. And then I say, God bless you and leave and. Nobody's ever, like, really... Yeah. Don't, how dare you call me? Yeah. I uh, dare you just say, God bless me. <laughs> well, Right. 
<laughs> and you're yeah, oh, everything's great. Right. They heard it. Yeah, they are. Cover all the bases. Okay, I've done everything I could. Boring. Okay, yeah. Go, Go pray for me. Yeah. Well, uh, next week, as, as Don alluded to, uh, chapter 11 is quite long. Um, so, I, we, uh, it's, a good, it's a good poke there, but it's really good to think about uh, the character of God. So, you know, now we're getting into the heart of the book. We've, we've covered a lot of preliminary things about the doctrine of Scripture, about the existence of God, the ability to know God, and, and now we're getting into the, the character of God, which is really what I'm most excited about in, in a lot of these chapters. So I'd encourage you to really dive into chapter 11 and, and uh, challenge yourself and really think through some things there. It, it'll pay off. So chapter 11 next week, and, and uh, yeah, so don't, don't wait till Tuesday night to start reading it. It's, my exhortation. Anybody see a song you wanted to sing tonight? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's sing a doxology tonight. <laughs> Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy So, Father, we ask for the grace in our lives. If we come across uh, somebody who's an atheist this week or agnostic and they, they don't believe in the existence of God, give us the grace to uh, show, them, uh, show them you. <laughs> Plant those seeds, Lord. Give us the grace to speak about why we believe it, that there is a God. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you convict them in their heart, you convict them in their mind, that you would call forth faith and trust in you. And they would respond uh, rightly, and they would repent and give up their rebellion and turn towards you and believe in you. Help us to uh, express the gospel content well and sufficiently, Lord, that they would come not to just believe in God in the general sense or generic sense, but in you, Jesus, and your Father, uh, our Father in heaven. Uh, so give us the grace, Lord, to, to be your witnesses this week in some fashion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God, by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.